Blog Talk Radio.
Uh, as far as Battle Road, we've got a uh, a level one and level two handgun course that is uh, scheduled for May fifth and sixth for that weekend. And I think we've got a couple of places left. If you'd like more information about it, uh, you can go to the website uh, www.battleroadusa.com. I'll take you to the website, which is uh, it's still under construction. <clears throat> But you can get the information there. Of course, you're always welcome to. Uh, the information there, I think, uh, uh, you can also uh, give us a call or an email uh, if you have any additional questions. But if you'd like to come to the Level 1 and Level 2 handgun courses for that weekend, uh, we'd be glad to have you. If you'd like to uh, to get a concealed carry license, yeah, we also do that. We do Level 3 handgun, uh, combat carbine, uh, shotgun, and uh, a great deal of other uh, self-defense and survival-type uh, instruction, including ladies-only events. <laughs> All right, tonight, uh, as I said, we're going to talk to you about the road that led to the American Revolutionary War, because it didn't just, uh, it wasn't like a, uh, like a car wreck on the freeway. I mean, it didn't just uh, happen uh, because of a flat tire or a whim, there was uh, there were there was probably a hundred years uh, of events that led to it. With the most relevant ones being the last uh, twenty to twenty-five years before the American Revolutionary War, and we're going to talk about what those were tonight and how they how we got. Uh, to the position that that we began a an, an open warfare with England. All right, first we'd like to, uh, as we do every week, any of the uh, the Appleseed crews out there running across the United States, any of the crews would like to call in and say thank you to any of their crew members. Uh, if you're a state coordinator, you want to say. Thank you to some of the folks in your state, uh, or if you're just a person who went to an apple seed and you want to say thanks to the folks, the instructors, uh, if somebody just shot to uh, rifleman standards, we'd like to know their name. We'd like to tell them thanks. If somebody uh, passed a PC and now they're a, uh, a brand-new orange hat, or maybe they're a, uh, a brand-new red hat, or a shoot boss, or, uh, or a new Apple Corps member, uh, or if you just want to tell somebody thank you because they've been sharing a lot of the load of doing promotions, et cetera, anything like that, we'll be glad to have you call and get their name out over the air. The call-in number is 347-308-8790. 347-308-8790. And uh, you can call in and listen to the recorded instructions, and then the call screener will, will, will probably ask you what uh, you want to talk about off the air. So don't worry about talking to them. You're not you're not going out on the air until I until I put you on the air. <clears throat> All right, but we'd like for you to call in, and then if you have any uh, if any of the Appleseed folks are uh, if you're starting any kind of a commercial venture, or if you have any type of announcement you'd like to make concerning Appleseed or or really anything, 
we invite you to call us in and get that out over the air. Uh, we've got a lot of folks that we'd like to uh, to help support. We're not getting any money for this. <clears throat> this is for the uh, for the folks at Blog Talk. Money for any of this? We're just uh, we're just doing it because we would like to help out our fellow apple seeders. And uh, <clears throat> one of the uh, the folks uh, that we always mention on here is Poker Face, the band that uh, has loaned us the intro music. Uh, that is that song is called Control, and uh, I think it's a great song. And uh, Poker Face, the band, has loaned that to us, and they're a great group. They do a lot of uh, a really great music. Uh, they're the uh, like the number one revolution, conservative revolution. Uh, I don't know if you can pigeonhole them by trying to put them in some slot of libertarian or or anything like that, because I I don't know that you can, because they all have their own their own ideas of what they want to do, and mainly it's about safeguarding freedom and liberty. And uh, you can find them playing at different locations uh, across the United States. You'll see them popping up at the uh, Bald Knob uh, uh, shoots there every once in a while. And you can go straight to their website at PokerFace.com to listen to some of the music, maybe buy some of the music from them. Uh, we've got... Uh, uh, Blue Feather, as Tyler Scrock, a couple of the New Mexico instructors. They produce an absolutely fantastic handmade soap. If you just uh, Google Blue Feather and uh, and handmade soap, it'll take you straight to her website. And uh, like I said, they make some fantastic handmade soap. And I was really uh, I I never really saw myself as a, a person who uh, who would be using handmade soap. Seem kind of proofroach to me, but they actually make a fantastic product, uh, and it's really great. I found it's one of the best soaps that I could use for my hands, especially uh, in the winter, because my hands would get so cracked open, uh, dry and cracked open. And then when I get diesel or oil or something else into the cracks, it's like a tattoo; it's permanent. And uh, I'm just washing my hands with the uh, with the soap that Luther makes, would we'll, we'll keep them uh, not soft, not 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 sissified, but it keeps them from cracking open. And I wish that I didn't get the the oil and grease down into the cracks in my hand that would last all winter. And so I really uh, uh, I really wanted to appreciate that. And I believe she also makes uh, shaving products now and. Uh, so if you're a man who likes to shave with a straight razor or uh, or even with just a regular, uh, like a thick razor, the shaving soap would be a good product for you. Uh, we got uh, Jimmy uh, from Desert Eagle Farms, and Jimmy has uh, uh, long-term food storage, and uh, you guys know Jimmy. Uh, who his group was uh, putting together the the Christmas for our troops package. They did a great job on that, and uh, and he now has. Let's see. He now has a product. Now let me first say that he that uh, Jimmy and Desert Eagle Farms they they provide 
long-term foods. And listen, there's no better insurance than long-term food. And you can't go wrong with it because you buy that. You've got to eat every day anyway. You buy this long-term food, and if you if you need it, it's there. And then uh, as long as you eat it before it goes bad in a quarter of a century, then you still got your money's worth out of it, right? But uh, if you need food and you don't have it, uh, there's no real way around that. I, I remember reading stories of folks in the American Revolutionary War boiling their shoes until the leather got soft enough to eat. If that sounds like uh, if that sounds like something you want to do, then by all means do that. Get some boots, boil them up, a little bit of garlic, salt, or something like that, and maybe it'll work for you. If not, if that doesn't sound appetizing, then you might want to think about purchasing some long-term storable food. You can get that from uh, Desert Eagle Farms. Just talk to Jimmy. He'll get you set up. And then, uh, and I've uh, bought some of the products, and they are very reasonable. They are very quality products. And now he's also offering – he just became a dealer for the Mildot Calculator. And uh, this is a way for you to uh, to get range uh, uh, for uh, – for shooting, it'll tell you. It'll help you get your uh, uh, ranging, and uh, it's got to be one of the cheapest ones that I've seen out there. There's no, you don't have to worry about. It. There's no batteries or electricity or or anything else that it needs. Uh, it's just an optical device, and I believe he sells them for twenty nine ninety five. But uh, if you're an apple feeder and you want to buy these, he says in any amount. They'll sell them to you for $25 plus postage. And uh, that's a good deal because uh, if you need to know the range or something, uh, and usually you do when you're making a shot, it's good to know the exact range for whatever you're shooting at, then, uh, then this is a device that will help you to calculate the exact distance. And uh, Jimmy said that he has used his, he's been using his, and he says... Uh, that he has found that for him it's working to within uh, a couple of feet uh, to a few inches is from the distance. Uh, just depending on how accurate he is reading and entering the info into the device. So, and he said he's going to send one to me, and I'm going to check it out, and I'll let you know more about it. But uh, if you would like to... Uh, to talk to Jimmy about that and give him a call, or you can contact him at Desert Eagle Farms and see about getting one of the mill dot calculators for you. Like I said, that's uh, it's uh, I guess they're around thirty something dollars normally, and he will sell them to the Appleseed folks at twenty five dollars plus postage. So that's basically like uh, like getting it uh, getting the shipping free if you buy it from Jimmy. All right, uh, we've got several other folks that. Uh, that we'd like to that we'd like to push on here, and uh, if you are if you're following the show in the chat room, in the live chat that follows the show, then uh, the call screener is going to be they'll be putting the information in there for you. All right. Okay, <clears throat> and like I said, we would like for you guys to call in if you have something special you're going to be doing for April nineteenth weekend. And call in and let us know what it is. Maybe we want to do the same thing. Maybe we want to do whatever it is you're doing. 
All right? We're not going to know what you're doing until you call in and tell us. So be sure and call in and let us know. And be sure and thank the folks. Listen, I'm paying for 50, 50 telephone lines for the radio show. And I did that so that none of you guys would have to wait when you wanted to call in and tell the folks that uh, that, just, that are working with you on your crews and stuff, thank you, because that's a pretty important thing. You know, we ask the folks that are doing Appleseed that are dedicating the uh, the time to the uh, to the program. We ask them to do a lot. We ask them to donate a lot of time, a lot of effort, and we're really, really good at uh, at uh, asking them to do stuff. And uh, we're really, really bad at telling them thank you for all the stuff that they do. All right. So this is one of the. This is where I wanted to give you guys the opportunity to tell your local crews thanks. And then we'll take calls throughout the show. Just uh, just don't waste the opportunity. It's no different than uh, than telling somebody happy birthday or. Uh, happy anniversary, or or whatever. Just if if you just mention to them that you noticed their hard work, then that's usually better than pay for most folks. All right. <clears throat> All right. So, what brought on the American Revolutionary War? Well, you had. Uh, what you had was basically a a situation where folks had come over to North America, to the colonies, uh, almost uh, almost a hundred plus years that they had been in the colonies. Many of the colonies, the majority of them, had never been home to England. They were British citizens, but the majority of them had never set foot in England. They considered themselves loyal British citizens, but there was a separation uh, that had begun, that had begun, uh, you know, over a hundred years before, uh, and. That is probably the beginning of the differences between the two nations. Anytime you have a group of people that are living apart from the nation that is supposed to be their their mother country, then you can start getting a, a sense of separation. And uh, the we'll start it off at the the French and Indian War. Now, this was the name given to the uh, the theater the of a, it was a massive conflict uh, in America, but it also involved uh, Austria, England, France, Great Britain, Prussia, and uh, Sweden. And the conflict was played out in Europe, India, North America. In uh, in Europe, 
Sweden, Austria, and France had allied to uh, to to crush uh, Frederick the Great, who was the king of Prussia. And the English and the French were fighting for the colonial domination in North America, the Caribbean, and in India. And uh, because at the same time that the the colonies uh, had started and were were running in North America. <clears throat> British also had colonies in the Caribbean and uh, and in England. <laughs> Not England, in uh, India. And uh, uh, and the the English did ultimately come to dominate the colonial outposts, but uh, in this war, the 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 cost of the war between the, the English and the French, because like I said, it wasn't just, they weren't just fighting in North America, they were fighting everywhere, and it cost them a great deal. You know, wars are not, wars are not free, and it cost the country that's running the war a great deal of money in order to finance the war. Uh, I believe at one point, the in America, Where it was I, I can't remember where I read it now. I believe it one of the points during the Iraq war, I think that we were running at at over a billion dollars a day was the cost of the war. And the English and the French had both spent staggering sums to fight the in the what what was known in the Americas as the French and Indian War. And uh it was a debt that caused the escalation of tensions, which ultimately led to the Revolutionary War. In Parliament, in the English Parliament, was they were desperate to obtain two two main objectives, two main goals for them. Was uh, first, they wanted to tax the colonies to recover money that was expended on the battle over North America, and second to restore the profitability of the East India Company in order to recover monies spent on the battle over India. So they they had these two big chunks of money that they had to they had to recoup. And and one of the ways that they felt they were doing it were they were going to tax uh they were going to tax the colonies. Now, the, the French and Indian War, and that's what it was called in the colonies, was the this was the beginning of the open hostilities between the colonies and Great Britain. Now, England and France had been building toward a conflict in America since around 1689. I mean, it had been, it had been brewing for quite a while. Uh, you had the the expansion of the the British colonial settlements. And then you had the expansion of the French. Now, at the same time, the Spanish in the uh, in the southern part of what is now North America uh, were colonizing there. But the French uh, and the French trappers uh, and priests were also opening up uh, land that would be claimed by France. And 
the efforts expended by both nations resulted in a remarkable growth of the colonies uh, of both sides from a population of about 250,000 in the year 1700 to about 1.25 million in 1750. Now, when you think about the colonies in North America at the time, in 1750, you don't think about there being 1.25 million, but there were. Uh, by the time of the American Revolution, there were close to 2 million people. Now, Britain required the raw materials from uh, from the New World, from the colonies. Uh, copper, hemp, tar, turpentine, these were all things that uh, that America had in abundance that the colonies could get to. Uh, hemp, which was one of the major crops in the Americas all the way until uh, the Second World War, uh, was what was what all the clothing and rope uh, all of the weavable materials uh, were supplied by hemp. Cotton came later, but mainly at first it was hemp. Hemp made all the ropes. Ropes were required. There were miles of ropes required and uh, tens of thousands of square feet of sail for every ship that went to sea. In order for these ships to go to sea, they had to have sails and rope, lots of rope. If you look at these ships, if you look at the, the at a large ship rigged out to go to sea, you'll see there there are miles and miles of ropes on that ship. And the ropes all came from hemp. And hemp was thrown in the colonies in abundance. Tar and turpentine, these were made from, uh, uh, these products came from the forest, from the trees, uh, pine trees. And uh, England also required a great deal of money and they required that all of the American products, all of the, the raw materials stuff that America produced, were shipped to England. This was covered in the Navigation Act. And and that meant that America's only trading partner, only uh, above-board trading partner, could be England. And then England wanted the colonies to buy exclusively from them. It means all the finished product, glass, paper, uh, clothing, fine furniture, things, stuff like that, would all come from, back from England so that the colonies would be kind of a built-in trading partner for them. They would get their raw materials from the colonies, and the raw materials would in turn be sent to England, would be manufactured into uh, into the, to the finished goods, and then shipped back to the colonies, and the colonies would buy them from England. And... <clears throat> in an effort to raise revenue, also to simultaneously interfere with the French in the Caribbean, there was a six-pence tax on each gallon of molasses. This was imposed in 1733. This is called the Molasses Act. And you can also see, that we'll also talk about the Sugar Act in just a minute. Enforcement of these regulations became very difficult because, because it was... Because you had folks that uh, they didn't want to pay the taxes, and there was not a whole lot of folks that could uh, enforce them. And uh, and the the English government ended up having to establish and hire and provide a very massive and extensive customs service. And along with that, they built up the vice admiralty courts who were uh, 
who were there specifically to identify, try, and convict suspected smugglers or folks who were trying to get around the taxes. And uh, these these devices of law, these these special devices of law, were exclusive of and superior to the colonial mechanisms of justice. That meant that 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 these things were not when you broke one of these laws, it wasn't like you could uh that it was that it was a law that was covered by the uh by the colonial system of justice. This was a uh a form of justice, a courts, etc. They were imposed on the colonies by the English. And this is this was a very hard thing to swallow. And well, the colonies were actually very interested, completely interested, in defeating the French in North America because uh, the French were in direct competition with them for uh, the land that they were hoping to continue to expand to, the land and goods, etc. Uh, the uh, they. Uh, they actually appealed. Uh, sorry, I was getting another another circle yes or no note from uh, from one of my tributes. <laughs> anyway, uh, the colonies appealed to money uh, to the king for money and uh, and the permission to raise armies to defend themselves. Now, this was a bit, uh, and they did so. They did raise uh, troops and militias to, to defend themselves. But this also this also caused a great deal of, uh, very disconcerting to George III, who was actually very suspicious of the, uh, it was of the intentions of the, the colonial governments. And he actually declined their offer. And uh, the English officers uh, in America, were also very contiguous of the colonials who were volunteering for a service, and they uh, and they made that known. You know, they weren't uh, they weren't uh, they didn't hide the fact that they didn't uh, have a very high opinion of the colonials or their ability to defend themselves. All right. Uh, Colonial resistance to British control took many forms, all right? And the perhaps one of the most effective uh, means of resistance that they had during this time was the general success of the non-importation agreements. Now, as I was saying earlier, such these type of things that had appeared uh, even as early as 1766, and they... They had a very chilling effect on the British merchants who traded with the colonies. The uh, the the Stamp Act was actually repealed eventually, uh, based on appeals from merchants who lost money shipping goods to a land that would not receive them. Now, one of the things that the Stamp Act did is that is the English were charging a uh, a tax on stamps. And the stamps 
in order for you to sense anything anywhere uh, at the time, since there being no uh, emails or anything like that at the time, everything had to go through a courier system, uh, no different than the than like the snail mail system we use today with the United States Postal Service. And there was an, a stamp act that placed uh, taxes on all the stamps. It also placed uh, taxes on paper and uh, and a good many other items that the the colonials needed to use. And one of the things the colonials did was they stopped using them. They stopped sending stuff in the mail, or they started uh, they started having uh, other folks carry it. Uh, and the the merchants in England were shipping goods to the Americas, like the paper and stuff like that, and the colonists were refusing to buy it. So they were shipping it there, and nobody would buy it. So they lost; they were losing that money. And so the the merchants were actually had gone back to Parliament and uh, and asked them uh, to relieve that tax. And the customs uh, officials and the customs offices uh, very frequently couldn't collect taxes on the goods. Uh, that were either not allowed ashore at all, because most of the times they just wouldn't allow them to be offloaded at the ports, or they were or they were never sold, so they couldn't collect any uh, any tax on it, and uh, and that would end up with uh, the uh, a resolution that was passed actually in 1774. They forbid any trade uh, with England. <clears throat> All right. Uh, in the early summer of 1765, there were a group of shopkeepers and artisans in the colonies in, in Boston who called themselves the Loyal Nine. They began preparing for agitation against the Stamp Act, and uh, and as that group grew, uh, because it began with the, the original nine folks, but as it grew, because so many people were upset about this, that it eventually turned into the group that was known as the Sons of Liberty. And believe me, I mean once the once the Sons of Liberty. It started growing. It started growing like wildfire, and uh, these, this was not a a top down led thing. Uh, in other words, it wasn't uh, it wasn't run uh, or pushed or promoted by the top folks in Boston, like uh, the governors or the uh, or the mayors or stuff like that. It was it was basically pushed through by the craftsmen, by the artisans and tradesmen. And uh, and of course it, it it seems strange that they would be so agitated or agitated by a uh, uh, by an act of parliament, but but they were because this was an infringement on on their over a hundred years of self government. Uh, the first widely known acts 
uh, of the uh, the Sons of Liberty took place on August 14, 1765, and uh, this was when they they had manufactured an effigy of of Andrew Oliver, and he was uh, Andrew Oliver was supposed to be the the first commissioned distributor of stamps for Massachusetts. All right, one of the first stamp tech folks, and he was this was the effigy was found hanging in a tree on Newbury Street, along with a large boot with a devil climbing out of it. And uh, the boot was a, a play on the name of the Earl of Butte. And the whole display was meant to establish an evil collect connection between Oliver, Andrew Oliver, and the Stamp Act. And uh, the sheriffs, the local sheriffs there, were told to remove the display, but they... They protested uh, that they they couldn't because they were in fear of their lives. The, whenever they were told to remove the display, a large crowd gathered around them, and, and you know they were. Uh, I'm sure there weren't there were no guns or knives or anything, but they were nonetheless they were threatening them. And uh, before the evening was over, a mob had burned. Oliver's home on Kilby Street, and they moved on to his uh, to his actual house. And there, they chopped off the head of the effigy, and then they started throwing rocks at the house uh, as uh, as the occupants of Oliver's house looked out their windows in horror. Uh, then they went on over to Fort Hill, which was a, a nearby. Uh, it wasn't. It was. Was an actual fort, but it was where a fort had been built earlier. Fort Hill, where they built a large fire and they burnt what was left of the effigy of Andrew Oliver. And uh, at that point, you know, most of the crowd, I'm sure they'd had a few drinks and stuff like that. They they dissipated, but Macintosh and crew, under cover of darkness, ransacked Oliver's abandoned home until midnight. Now. On that evening, it became very clear who was ruling Boston. The British militia, the sheriffs, and the justices kept a low profile, and no one really, no one wanted to respond to this violence. I mean, it, but but by this time, there had not yet been the uh, the occupation of Boston. Uh, this was 1765. Now later the British would occupy uh, Boston, and they would start to occupying and garrisoning many of the colonies. Uh, but at this time, they weren't. They just had uh, some of the British militia, and then they had a sheriff and constables and stuff like that. But there was only a few folks there, because they they rarely, if ever, needed uh, to, to do anything to a large group. And if they ever did, then they had the townspeople to assist them except in this case where the townspeople were actually the ones who were voicing their uh, voicing their displeasure with the events that were going on. Now, now, by the end of that year, there were Sons of Liberty. There were these groups were in every colony. But by the end of 1765, there, was, there were Sons of uh, Liberty uh, organizations in every colony. And... <clears throat> The, the main thing, the main thing that they did was to go around and force 
the stamp distributors throughout the colonies to resign their positions and uh, and usually made them declare publicly that they would not enforce the uh, tam- the stamp taxes and uh, the groups also would make sure that they applied pressure to any of the merchants who didn't comply with the non-importation associations. Now, wherever the groups existed, they were either direct, directed in secret uh, by leading men in the community or actually led by them. However, there were opportunists everywhere, too, who would use the names of the Sons of Liberty to carry the acts of revenge and other violence not related to the cause. And you know how that goes, folks. Uh, folks will, uh, you know, they'll start saying, yeah, we're doing this for whatever. Yeah, we're doing this for the Sons of Liberty. And they would burn somebody's house down. We had no connection whatsoever to the Sons of Liberty. Though the, uh, while the groups were growing, you know, they actually got, uh, they would actually get collateral damage from a lot of stuff they were doing. Because you always have, Bad guys were willing to willing to uh, to do something uh, immoral or, or illicit under cover of the name of some other organization. Uh, in South Carolina, for example, there's a group of sailors who call themselves the Sons of Liberty, and they they put together a like a, a mob or kind of a loose gang. And what they would do is they would they would coerce money from people on the streets, right? We're the Sons of Liberty. You either give us uh, 50 cents uh, to walk up and down the street or we're, uh, we're going to crack your head in. And uh, certainly this behavior undermined the cause. And and so the Sons of Liberty had to spend a great deal of time actually trying to police themselves and eliminate these the pretenders. And, uh, and this is actually the origin of uh, such of the names of the names of some of the smaller groups as the true sons and true born sons of liberty. That's where a lot of these folks got their names from. Uh, so so they're growing and they're uh they're but there's also collateral problems going on. But however For the most part, there was a great deal of success in these movements to undermine the Stamped Act. And and you can't say that it was, it could all be attributed to to violence alone, because it wasn't. It was also due to the the sons actually getting out there and putting the information out, out and causing people to ask themselves a question, which is, is this right or is it not right? And a good many of the people would answer that they didn't think that it was right. And so once you've done that, you're causing folks to think in a different direction. And uh, uh, one of the good things that the Suns had going for them, too, was that that a great many of them were actually printers and publishers uh, themselves. And even though the... Uh, even the the printers and publishers who weren't members of the Sons of Liberty were usually sympathetic to the cause, and I'm sure that some of them felt that that it was smarter for them to be sympathetic uh, in any event. Now, also, 
the uh, the newspapers and the publishers were the folks that that were going to be responsible uh, for paying the most in duties, right? And uh, the uh, because of the Stamp and Paper Act. So then, with that, with the fact that their uh, that their business relied on paper and stamps, they're going to have to be paying a huge chunk of it. So I'm, I'm sure that uh, that they were very active in voicing their their disapproval of the Stamp Act. <clears throat> so this is 1765, and this is uh, this is well before the uh, the events occurred in 1775. This is ten years before. And uh, all right. Uh, now, when the the Act, the Stamp Act, actually became effective uh, on the first of November, seventeen seventy seventeen sixty five, nearly all of the newspapers that uh, were supposed to be having the stamps and paying for the uh, the, the paying the tax and paying stuff, they went right on publishing without any of the stamps or anything else. And this was in November. And then in the early months of 1766, uh, after it got us effect, there was so much chaos that many of the royal governors had actually gone into hiding uh, the sheriffs and the militia that they might have counted on to keep the peace were, were mostly members of the Sons of Liberty. And the governors were actually, uh, they were afraid to unlock the weapon stores and, uh, to give weapons to any of the folks to help defend them because they because they didn't know who was uh, who they could count on to keep the peace. And uh, there were very few royal troops that were actually available. And in any case, you know, in any of the colonies, you may have uh, uh, an outpost that had 10 members of the uh, 10 royal troops, but they were going to be faced by, uh, you know, 2,000, 5,000 of the city folks there. So so they didn't, uh, until they got... There are, there are larger numbers many years later. They didn't go around shoving people around. They tried to, to very quietly do their jobs, and uh, and for the most part, in the colonies, this was uh, it was unenforceable. And uh, uh, about this time, we have the Committee of Correspondence was formed throughout the colonies. This was a means of coordinating the the different efforts that uh that were being put forth throughout the colonies to be able to to coordinate them uh, to loosely coordinate them and of course this is this would later go on to to end up being the the roots uh one of the first governing bodies and uh let's see. I'm just checking to make sure that I'm checking the telephones to make sure that anybody's calling in. Uh, Mr. Screener, did you ch- check the uh, 415 number to make sure that uh, I'm not uh, I'm not making them hold for too long? <clears throat> All right. 
Committee of Correspondence at this time was, uh, was set up to kind of overall to uh, to help direct and coordinate the efforts. So you see what's happening. You've got the the uh, the the English. The you've got England is doing things, and then you have the colonies that re- are reacting to them. And because of the colonies' reaction, then England wants decides to do something different. Well, maybe it's decided to do something different, and then the colonies respond in a different way. You know, I tell folks all the time that uh, that every act produces uh, an equal and opposite reaction. And and that there is nothing there is nothing you can do or not do, either one or the other, that doesn't have some form of of cost to it. Every single thing you do has something requires some form of payment. And I don't mean, uh, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about everything that you do or don't do has some type of uh, of a of a bill due on it. Right? So every time that uh, England did something, there was a reaction by the colonies. Every reaction by the colonies would stimulate uh, another action by England. England do something, the colonies would react. The reaction uh, caused a reaction in England. So that England would do something, then there would cause a reaction in the colonies. And unless you can break this pattern, uh, or something derails it, like uh, say that there was another war that had a common enemy with the colonies and uh, and England. Something that could something like that that could take them off the path of looking at each other as potential enemies and you've you're eventually going to get stuck uh with a resolution to the uh, to the situation in the colonies. All right. The uh the next thing we have, and, and don't think that uh, because a couple of years have passed that these were years of quiet. Uh, the years between 1766 and 1770 still had a lot that was going on. Uh, you still had the uh, the reluctance by the colonists uh, on the outright uh, uh, refusal of them to pay the Stamp taxes and the other things that uh, that uh, that Britain Britain was uh, imposing on them. Then, uh, on March fifth, seventeen seventy, there was a street fight that occurred between a patriot mob. They were throwing snowballs, stones, and sticks, and and, and yelling uh, at a squad of British soldiers. And during this 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 fight, this street fight, the the British soldiers turned their guns on the colonists and fired at them. And uh, several of the colonists were killed. And this, of course, led to a huge campaign uh, by the 
speech writers and the and the the, the top Sons of Liberty and, and Patriot folks at the time. Uh, this was used to completely raise the ire of the citizenry at the time, because uh, I, I mean, if you look at it, look at the name that it was given, the Boston Massacre, and yes, it was uh, yes, it was a horrible thing. But you know, normally when you think of a massacre, you're you're thinking of a lot more than just a few folks, and uh, especially, uh, I believe there are five folks totally that were killed. When you think of a, a massacre, you're not thinking of, uh, of five people getting killed. But that's because it was used, the name, the term massacre was used to help incite the ire of the public. The presence of British troops in the city of Boston was it was it was becoming increasingly unwelcome to the citizens. And uh, anytime you have a situation like that where you have what amounts to occupying troops, then you have the the folks you have the, the troops who come in to have to do their job. And they're, they're usually it starts off with them. Uh, just doing their job and trying not to be too bossy or anything else. But nonetheless, it uh, it incites the ire of the folks uh, who are living there, and they start treating these soldiers with contempt and disrespect, and that causes these soldiers, and, and, and most likely it's usually the other way around. Usually the soldiers that come in are, are riding too roughshod, over the folks that they are uh, uh, that they are trying to corral there, and uh, and so you get uh, you start getting a really intense form of animosity between the two, and uh, and the troops were being increasingly uh, they were they were very unwelcome there in the city, and. Uh, and the riot actually began when about uh, 50 folks uh, attacked a British sentinel. Uh, so I don't know what you call him, like a like a watchman. And uh, and they were calling him names and throwing stuff at him. And a British, there was a British officer named Captain Thomas Preston who called for additional soldiers. And uh, when they arrived, they too were attacked and uh, and had stuff thrown at them, they ended up firing into the mob and they killed three on the spot. Uh, one of them was a black sailor named Crispus Attucks. There was a rope maker named Samuel Gray and a mariner named James Caldwell. And they ended up, uh, they killed those three of those folks right there on the spot. And they wounded eight others. Uh, and two of the wounded, two of the folks that were wounded actually died a little bit later. That was Samuel Maverick and Patrick Carr, and uh, they ended up, uh, uh, as I said, dying a little bit later. And uh, the there was a town meeting called because of this, and they were demanding the removal of the British. And they actually had a, a, a trial there uh, for the captain of the troop, Captain Preston, and his men for murder. Now, at the trial, John Adams and Josiah Quincy II defended the British, and uh, 
actually secure their acquittal and release. And uh, uh, Samuel Quincy and Robert Payne were attorneys for the prosecution. And uh, now later on, two of the British soldiers were actually found guilty of manslaughter. <clears throat> but the at the time, uh, John Adams was one of the folks that was, uh, and I think rightly so, that he didn't want to he didn't want to 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 find the soldiers guilty uh of murder uh because i am not sure what the jurisdiction would have been or how they would have worked it out but i don't think that uh i don't think it would have been good and i think that what he was trying to do was trying to and this is supported by some of his notes and stuff too that he was trying to Smooth the events down at that time because the the colonists were not yet ready uh, for open rebellion, and uh, they were trying to smooth things down and uh, and smooth this over. And one of the things that uh, I tell folks at Appleseeds is that you know when the the folks were killed on Lexington Green, you know we talk about the three strikes of the match. And how the the American Revolutionary War didn't start on Lexington Green because there were just as many folks killed uh, at the Boston Massacre. That didn't start a war. The events at Lexington Green very well uh, could have been eased over uh, in the same manner without starting a war. But nonetheless, the the Boston Massacre was was a a signal type event which which ended up leading directly into the events uh, that were gaining momentum to begin the American Revolutionary War. Now it did lead directly to the royal governor uh, evacuating the occupying army from the town of of Boston. Uh, but as we know, the uh, the the town would be reoccupied in just a few more years. Now, uh, we also had at the time uh, one of the things that the folks were uh, were not happy about was the the vice admiralty courts and. Uh, these served one first purpose only, and that was to resolve disputes between uh, the merchants and the seamen. And at the end of the French and Indian War, there were uh, 11 vice admiralty courts that were operating in British America. Now, each court was serving a certain region, and you know some of them handled uh, several colonies at once, and some, like uh, Pennsylvania, had had its own special court. And these handled the things uh, uh, covered. They covered things like uh, smuggling uh, and uh, the tax evasions and the the customs officials and the merchants in England could bring action in in whichever court that they thought would bring the most favorable resort, and this. 
from the perspective of the the folks who are being charged, these were the, these were the colonists. This uh, this seemed like a very unfair thing. The, the lack of a trial by jury was an infringement on what they consider their constitutional rights. Now, this being said, the distinction was actually very minor in practice because all of the judges that were actually that would hear the cases were drawn from the local population. However, on its very surface, on on its face, a lack of a trial by jury was was an infringement on what they consider their constitutional right. And uh, on the courts, the uh, the courts, uh, as I said, this, uh, there wasn't there wasn't one uh, particular thing that was that was going on that was causing grief among the colonists. Uh, there were more and more things going on. Now, each of these things were were not huge things, but when you're when they're taken as a whole, uh, it, it becomes it becomes very uh, very problematic. All right. Uh, now, now we come to the Boston Non-Importation Agreement. Uh, this was where the... the uh, let me just... Let me, I'm going to read this to you right here. One of the, uh, the tenets of the agreement. First, that we will not send for or import from Great Britain either upon our own account or upon commission this fall any other goods than what are already ordered for the fall supply. Secondly, that we will not send for or import any kind of goods or merchandise from Great Britain, either on our own account or on commissions, or any otherwise, from the 1st of January, 1769, to the 1st of January, 1770, except salt, coals, fish hooks and lines, hemp and duck bar lead shot, wool cards and card wire. Thirdly, and I'm wondering like who who actually got to uh, to get their exceptions in there. Obviously, the fishermen did, right? Uh, they wanted their fish hooks and lines and wool cards, card wire. Thirdly, that we will not purchase of any factor or others any kinds of goods imported from Great Britain. From January 1769 to January 1770. Fourthly, that we will not import on our own account or on commissions of purchase or any who shall inform from any other colony in America from January 1769 to January 1770 any tea, glass, paper, or other goods commonly imported from Great Britain. Fifthly, that we will not from and after, this is also after, the 1st of January, 1369, import into this province any tea, paper, glass, or painter's colors until the act imposing duties on those articles shall be repealed. 
in witness whereof we have hereunto set our hands this first date of August 1768. All right, now I told you at the beginning that, <clears throat> that the the whole idea of the colonies in America was uh, for to be a a way for Great Britain uh, to gather raw materials. And that would be, and they were there was an exclusive agreement between the colonies and Great Britain that the colonies would ship these raw goods only to England. And then they would buy the finished products only from England. <clears throat> now, they're saying that uh, that they're not going to buy any of these goods from 69 to 70. Now, <clears throat> this caused huge problems in England. And it wasn't uh, that they were defying any rules. What happened is you have the all of the merchants in England who are not making money. When they don't make money, they don't pay taxes. Uh, so, so you're getting a double whammy there. They're not paying any taxes uh, to the crown because they're not making the money that they would have made because of the Stamp Act. So the Stamp Act is costing England uh, a huge amount of money. They paid out huge amounts of money to hire folks to oversee this and not only are they not collecting taxes in the colonies the colonists now are refusing to buy goods uh, from England so the merchants in England are not uh, receiving monies that they would pay taxes on to the crown in England so they're upset about it now when we think about the American Revolutionary War and the beginnings of it, and uh, and we talked about this, I believe, uh, last week when we were talking about spies and treason and uh, traitors, etc., how you had, uh, uh, up until a certain point, you had folks arguing both sides in the colonies and in England. You had folks uh, in Parliament and in England saying, what we're doing in the colonies is wrong. The way that we're treating them is wrong. And at a certain point, uh, they had to stop there and here because uh, once once it became open warfare, it became treasonous to speak that way. But up until that point, you had folks uh, arguing very vociferously about uh, uh, about the rights and wrongs of what uh, England was doing in the colonies. Now, uh, on May 10th, 1773, you have the Tea Act passed by Parliament. It would launch the final spark to the revolutionary movement in Boston. Now, the Act was not intended to raise revenue in the American colonies. and In fact, it, it didn't really impose any new taxes. What they were trying to do was they were trying to prop up the East India Company, which uh, was floundering financially, and it was burdened with 18 million pounds of unsold tea. What they wanted to do, they wanted this tea to be shipped directly to the colonies, sold at a bargain price. The accounts and duties were still in place, however, and the leaders in America uh, felt that the act was a maneuver 
to buy popular support for the taxes already in force. Uh, and the direct sale of tea by way of the British agents to the folks in Great Britain would have also undercut the businesses of the local merchants, the local, the uh, the colonists who were selling tea. So what the, what happened was the British government was trying to save the private company, the East India Company, and uh, they were going to get them to ship this tea, this 18 million pounds of the unsold tea uh, to America. Now, remember the American the tea tax was in place, and the tea was going to be sold at bargain basement prices, which meant that even with the tax in place, you were still going to be able to buy tea at, at a lot cheaper rate than anywhere else, but this was also going to uh, it was going to destroy the, all of the local merch, merchants who were selling tea. And the, the leaders in America thought that what they were trying to do was to get you to accept, to start buying this tea at the lower price, even though it was lower with the tea tax on it, so that you'd get used to paying it, and then once the prices went back up, you'd be paying the higher prices of tea and paying the tea tax, and you'd already been doing it for such a while that you that it wouldn't be any big deal. Think about that for a minute. Does that, uh, does that sound familiar? Anyway, the colonists in Philadelphia and New York turned the tea ships back to Britain. They, they wouldn't let them. They wouldn't let them land. They wouldn't let them offload. In Charleston, the cargo was left to rot on the docks. They the ships who brought it in unloaded it to the docks, but from there it would have to go to warehouses and to the companies and stuff. And the folks, the colonists, refused to accept it. Uh, in Boston, the royal governor of Boston. Was he was he was determined to win this battle. Anyway, he held the ships in port, but the colonists would not allow them to unload. So, uh, so the the ships that were were stuck there. The governor wasn't letting them leave port, and the colonists were not letting them unload. So the the harbor began to fill up with ships bringing tea. And they were all stalled in uh, in Boston, all the ships were, and the ship's crews were stuck there too. And since they weren't at sea, they weren't getting paid. And so they were wandering. You had uh, hundreds of ships' crews, uh, and the crews sometimes held up to 100 men. You had these ships all in port, and they, since they weren't at sea, they weren't going to get paid. So they were all... Uh, in town, looking for jobs, trying to find work, and and this ended up causing a great deal of trouble, and eventually led to the Boston Tea Party. Uh, I'm not going to read the the actual Tea Act because uh, it's in a bit of an archaic dialogue, and uh, I don't think that you would. Uh, you would enjoy it. I know that uh, when my children were younger, I would read to them every night, and 
on uh, nights that they were good, they would get exciting stories, and on nights that they were bad, they would get uh, things like the Tea Act or uh, Ships Manifest and stuff like that. <laughs> All right. On uh, April 5th, 1364, Parliament passed a modified version of the Sugar and Molasses Act. Well, first let me go back to the to the uh, uh, the Boston uh, Tea Party. The uh, uh, what ended up happening there is that the the colonists. Uh, they said they wouldn't unload the ships. They wouldn't let them unload. The governor wouldn't let them leave. So the colonists ended up uh, dressing up as uh, uh, as Iroquois, and uh, they went down to the port. They broke into the ships and they threw the tea into the port. Now they were very uh, gentlemanly about it, right? They didn't hurt anybody. They didn't. Uh, they didn't take anything but the tea. Uh, they uh, there was even a uh, a listing of where there was a lock that was broken on one of the ships when they were unloading the the tea. There was a lock broken open, and they actually paid to have the lock repaired, and uh, the tea was thrown into the harbor. Now. Uh, most people think that the tea, or the, when we say that he was thrown to the harbor, that it was uh, that it wasn't a whole lot. Well, listen, I'll tell you how much it was. It was enough that you could. There was enough tea thrown into the harbor that you could walk from the ships back onto the uh, the docks. That's how much tea was thrown into the harbor. I'm sure today they would be reviled as uh, environmental terrorists uh, because they had thrown enough tea overboard, uh, many, many hundreds of tons of tea, that you could walk from the ships back to the dock on the tea. Uh, not the tea was floating. Tea that had already sank down and more and more and more on top until you had built like a, uh, like a base that you could actually walk on. That's the amount of tea that was thrown in. That's why they were uh, that's why they were so uh, upset about it. It was a huge amount of uh, a huge amount of money, and uh, the uh, the the British response to it uh, was. Uh, let me keep going through the. Keep going. See how much time we have here. Make sure that I'm not going to run out of time. Uh, okay. <clears throat> the part of the punishment for the, uh, the Tea Party was the Boston Port Act. Uh, this was an act to discontinue uh, the landing, the lading, the shipping of any goods, wares, or merchandise at the town within the harbor of Boston in the province of Massachusetts Bay in North America. 
Whereas dangerous commotions and insurrections have been fomented and raised in the town of Boston, in the province of Massachusetts Bay, in New England, by diverse ill-affected persons to the subversion of His Majesty's government and to the utter destruction of the public peace and good order of the said town, in which commotions and insurrections, certain valuable cargoes of keys, being the property of the East India Tea Company, and on board certain vessels lying within the bay or harbor of Boston, were seized and destroyed. And whereas, in the present condition of the said town and harbor, the commerce of his majesty's subjects cannot be safely carried on there, nor the customs payable to his majesty duly collected. It is therefore expedient that the officers of his majesty's customs should be forthwith removed from the said town, that from and after June 1st, 1774, it shall be unlawful for any person or persons whatsoever to lade, put, or cause to procure, or be laden, or put off or from any quay, wharf, or other place within the said town of Boston. All right, so what they're doing is they're closing it down. They closed down uh, Boston Harbor. And and I don't know if any of you guys have been to Boston, or if you've taken a look at uh, Boston uh, at this time. Boston was basically an island. And the majority of all the goods in Boston, all the work, everything, was related to the uh, their maritime uh, uh, business, to the ships, the the fishing ships, the uh, the merchant ships, bringing in uh, materials and bringing in cargoes and selling them. The uh, the folks in Boston shipping uh, raw materials back to Britain. The the uh, fishermen bringing in fish and other goods. The sale of food and lodging, etc., and 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 drink to the thousands of seamen who came to town. Uh, so they were wholly dependent on the workings of the uh, the harbor of Boston for their uh, for their livelihood. And the British shut it down. And this, like I said, this was uh, this was in direct response to the. Uh, to the Boston Sea Party, and uh, and it was meant as a punitive act to to punish them. And uh, <clears throat> the the British government had spent tremendous sums of money on troops and and equipment in an attempt to to subjugate British. And the British marched the subjugate the Massachusetts. And uh, the British merchants had lost huge sums of money on the looted, the spoiled, or, or the destroyed goods shipped to the colonies. Well, they, or the stuff that they, they just wouldn't buy. So if you send a ship to uh, to the colonies, and they said, well, we're, just, we're not going to buy that, then the ship would have to be sent back. Now, you'd still, as a merchant, you still had to pay for it going both ways now because the ship couldn't come to the Americas and offload that cargo and sell it and then unload uh, their own cargo 
of raw material to be shipped back to England. They had to go back with that load that was in their hold, which means you lost, you didn't make the sale, and yet you had to pay for shipping both ways. And that means that money, the profits, not only did you not make any profits, uh, but the government didn't get any of its money either. The revenue that uh, was generated by the Townsend duties in uh, 1770 uh, amounted to less than 21,000 pounds. On March 5th in 1770, Parliament repealed those duties except for the one on tea. And the same day, the Boston Massacre set a course that would lead the rule of governor to evacuate the occupying army from Boston, and it would soon bring uh, it would soon bring on uh, uh, the 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 rest of the act. Now, after the French and the Indian War, the British government decided to reap uh, uh, greater profits from the colonies. But uh, we see what uh, we see what that caused. Now. Uh, See where we are here. The uh, as I said, as each uh, as as each new act or each new uh, new regulation came from. Uh, from England, there was a response in the colonies. That response in the colonies would generate a new act. That new act would come in. That would uh, uh, it just kept building on itself. And uh, the next thing that happened was uh, in May of 1734. Uh, the the Massachusetts Government Act came into being. And what this was is uh, an act for better regulating the government of the province of the Massachusetts Bay in New England. Uh, In essence, what they're going to do is they're going to remove the government in place and replace it uh, with a government that was run from England, uh, directly from England. It wouldn't be run locally anymore. It would be run directly in England. The next thing you have, the Quartering Act of 1774, and that's uh, where, uh, where the troops had been brought in to to suppress, to uh, occupy Boston, or to be quartered with the the local population. And there would be uh, they could be put in any of the uh, the homes or the public buildings, etc. And um, that's one of the reasons you see in our in uh, the Constitution that. Uh, that there's a regulation on that because of this. Uh, Many of the things that are in our Constitution are directly related to the events uh, 
that occurred at this time. They're directly related to it. Uh, you know, if you have the the right uh, to be safe from unreasonable search and seizure, uh, you can even read about uh, folks writing about that uh, during the during the searches uh, on April 19, You see, when they broke into homes looking for things uh, without without any uh, uh, without any rights to do that. They had searched uh, without any rights to the homes of the folks in Concord. All right. Uh, now, during this time, there were also uh, there were also the uh, uh, the powder alarms. Now, uh, you can see that it's getting it's getting there. It's getting more and more tense between the colonies. And between the uh, the colonies in uh, Great Britain, and uh, uh, we 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 can see exactly where this is going. Now I've got a note. I know we've got uh, we got a few minutes. You want to take a quick uh, a quick break on this because I told you guys last week. That uh, that we would call Mr. Colorado, and uh, I've got the call center here. He's asked me if uh, we want to go ahead and give him a call. I said, "Yeah, that sounds like a good idea." Yeah, if you can call him, just call out from the switchboard, and uh, and see if he wants to talk. And we'll we'll give him a few minutes time here. If he goes for you guys that uh, that weren't listening uh, a few weeks ago, we had. Uh, we had uh, Mr. Colorado, who uh, called and was talk to, talking to us about the uh, uh, about the the radio show folks and the Appleseed folks and the uh, the conservatives and uh, and how we were trying to uh, format. Uh, Discord, and we ended up, uh, uh, I don't know if we it came to any kind of a meeting of the minds, but we did end up talking to him and uh, and inviting him to a uh, uh, an apple seed. And uh, he wanted to, he was supposed to call me and let me know, or, or email me and let me know, and uh, we hadn't heard back from him, so let's see if we can't uh, get a hold of him and see if we can't uh, see if he's ready to go to an apple seed. Okay. I guess he's not going to answer, but... Uh, <clears throat> or maybe he is. That's... Uh, We'll see here in just a minute. <clears throat> anyway, he uh, he was uh, he was hoping that 
that we weren't going to uh, to try and hunt him down on a uh, on an Appleseed weekend, uh, and I'm always I, I'm always amazed that uh, that folks uh, that they that they they think this way. You know that uh, that they think that they would go to an apple seed event, and that that there would be folks there that would uh, uh, try and and hunt them down. Uh, all right, let's see if we got uh, if we've got anybody yet. I'm sure that uh, sure their call screener will let me know. Uh, and you'll probably need to, Mr. Callsprint, you'll probably need to break in on me uh, so that I can, so let me know if uh, you get a hold of Mr. Colorado. Anyway, uh, the the powder alarm, and I remember one of the reasons I, that I'm uh, interested in the powder alarm is because it was a, uh, to me, it was very uh, important in the way that it that it was training the colonists to react to the British forces. Uh, that it helped to set up the the way that the the colonial forces would react to incursions by the by the British, and actually helped. Train them on how to how they were going to respond uh, to the events of April uh, 19, 1775. I mean, it was it was just it was actually like a, a training program directly for that. Anyway, uh, the, the powder alarm started off by the removal of gunpowder from uh, one of the uh, one of the community magazines by British soldiers who were under orders from General Gage. Who was the uh, who was the acting royal governor of uh, the province of Massachusetts Bay? On September first, seventeen seventy four, uh, in response to the action, and also uh, amid rumors that they that that when the the British soldiers had come and got the alarm, that got the powder, that they had uh, that they had actually built spilled the blood of colonists. The alarm. It spread through the countryside, and it spread through in uh, in uh, such a rapid fashion that that the uh, that there was a huge uh, reaction to it by the by the local militias, and uh, they actually they actually began sending troops. Uh, actually, on uh, as if they were on foot to war. Now, although the the first alarm it proved to be a false alarm, the powder alarm actually caused the political mili- man military leaders to to proceed more to, more carefully and in a different fashion in the coming days, and it was uh, essentially I, I would. I would call it uh, like a dress rehearsal 
for the uh, for the battles of Lexington and Concord in just a, a few short months later. Uh, first of all, you had uh, you had Gage, who once the once the the troubles began to grow and began to get out of hand in Massachusetts, definitely the intolerable acts, which was the British Parliament's answer to the Boston Tea Party. And he was seeking, uh, Gage was seeking to prevent the, the outbreak of war and to keep peace between the, the uh, American patriot majority and the loyalist Troy min- Tory minority. He thought that the best way he could do this uh, was by removing the military stores that they could use to actually fight with. Uh, most of you are semi-familiar with the workings of uh, the muzzle-loading firearms that they had at the time, right? Uh, if you didn't have gunpowder, then it didn't work, right? You could have all of the muskets you wanted, but without gunpowder, they were useless. So what he did is he went after the gunpowder. He said, oh, I'll just seize the gunpowder. And since there were no factories or nobody was manufacturing gunpowder at the time, that was what there was. So once that was gone, then there were uh, there was no way to get anymore. And uh, most of the, the gunpowder was under the control of the provincial government, right? Under the control of what they would consider the, the colonies of the, the of the provinces, and that was under the direct control of the provincial governor, who was Gage. But but many of these gunpowder supplies were were the properties of the individual towns. The towns would just they would put their money together. They would buy gunpowder in case they would need it in the future for something. And they would store it in a, in a in a magazine in a house outside of town because you didn't want a, a large building filled with black powder in the middle of your town because that was a disaster. And uh, so so Gage considered the all of the gunpowder to be the king's powder, and. Uh, and the towns considered the powder to be theirs. And uh, so he went and got the the powder from a magazine outside of Boston. And uh, he went out there and he got it, and it, it loaded it all up on ships and was marched back to town before anybody knew anything was going on. And that infuriated uh, the folks. And uh, the uh, and they swore it would never happen again, and that was one of the reasons that they began to uh, they began to man constant uh, observation of the of the troops that were garrisoned in the town, and everything that they were doing. Uh, the uh, uh, the colonists were getting training on on watching the troops and then responding to what they're doing 
and then setting up ways to notify all of the uh, the the different individuals involved in responding to this, and they basically taught the colonists how to set up a response to a British uh, attempt at uh, uh, at any type of uh, British attempt to seize uh, any uh, gunpowder or arms or ammunition. So it was almost like a, a, a huge training uh, episode for them, and and that's what it did. It showed them how to do it. Not only that, but it made the it made the British look bad. It made the the uh, British regulars look bad, and uh, and that was not good. All right. <clears throat> The uh, the phone lines are still open, three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. If you guys have any questions about uh, any of the stuff that we're talking about tonight, or if you want to add in any points that you have, I mean, usually everybody, most of the folks in Appleseed have their, uh, you know, they've done some studying about the events leading up to the American Revolutionary War, or about uh, the things that caused it, and uh, everybody loves to to add in their own flavor. So if any of you guys want to <clears throat> to call in to uh, to add your own uh, your own two cents onto the events that uh, you felt helped shape the road to open warfare to the American Revolutionary War, we invite you to call in and uh, put in your uh, information. Uh, I know that uh I know that there are quite a few people who when we're doing the three strikes of the match, uh some of the people have developed the uh the what led up to the three strikes of the match. I know that I've got uh, one fellow uh didactic, my good buddy Dean McCormick. I know he asked me one time if he could uh if he could give a talk about the lead in to the events uh, on April 19th, and I said, well, sure, of course you can. He said, well, do you mind if I uh, if I use uh, some printed material, some reading material? I go, oh, okay. And I said, I guess. I go, how much do you got? And he said, oh, just this. And I go, well, how much is it? And he goes, it's, well, it's about 20, 25 pages. And I thought, well, that sure sounds a lot, but maybe he's a fast reader. But uh, what he didn't tell me was it was, 25 pages front and back, so about 50 pages. And uh, good grief, I'm telling you that I always joke with Dean because uh, I'm thinking, I, I joke with him saying that his explanation of the uh, what led to the American Revolutionary War starts off with, uh, uh, you know, with uh, with fish you know, developing limbs and uh, and lungs to breathe air so that they can get, get out of the water. And uh, <laughs> it goes on from there. But uh, but there were a lot of things that that entered in. It was very, it was very complex. Uh, it wasn't just a, a war or a rebellion to decide who would lead uh 
the nation would lead in the colonies uh, as far as their leadership or their allegiance to North America. It was uh, it, it was a worldwide event, and it affected uh, nations on virtually every continent. The American Revolutionary War was actually the very first world war, and uh, and the the things that led into it were very complex. And the things that uh, the 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 ideas uh, and the participation by the colonists. Uh, this wasn't something that that had a 100% approval. Uh, the there are various estimates. But historians have estimated that about forty to forty-five percent, uh, and I believe that's probably a little bit high, uh, of the colonists in North America supported the rebellion. While uh, approximately fifteen to twenty percent, I think that's a little bit low, remained loyal to the crown, and the rest of the colonists uh, attempted to remain neutral and keep a low profile, sit on the fence, and uh, and not get involved in in any way, which, uh, which, if you think about it at the time, it was, uh, it was the most likely thing for people to do, is not get involved. If you were living on a farm uh, out, on the, out in the, the woods, and, uh, and you really didn't have, uh, you really didn't have anything to do with anything going on in the colonies, and what what is it really? What was it to you uh, with the with the rebellion? And and most of the time, it uh, came down to two things. One, there was either an economic incentive that uh, where the either the colonists or the uh, or England was threatening your economic uh threatening you economically or an ideological uh where uh, in the same way that you had uh, many uh, or the majority of the of the southerners who fought for the confederacy the majority of them had uh, no no slave holdings uh, whatsoever They'd never owned slaves. They were never going to own slaves. Uh, uh, a good many of them uh, didn't even believe in slavery. So why were they fighting for the South? And the, and the reason is was ideological reason. And uh, and that both that for them believed that they should be self-governing. And it was the same thing with the colonists in uh, 1775. <clears throat> the uh, they think that around 25,000-plus loyalists fought on the side of the British. Now, I consider that to be a very low figure. And uh, thousands of them served in the Royal Navy. Now, the the colonies at the beginning of the war really didn't have either a professional army or a navy. But they certainly had a better chance of raising a an army than they did a navy. Now, as time went on... Uh, the Navy began to to kind of gel 
but certainly at the very beginning, uh, it wasn't, uh, there was no Navy. And the, the, the loyalist fighting, uh, either fought alongside the British in most of the battles in North America, or they fought in partisan units, especially in the, the southern uh, theater of war and in the southern battles. And that's that's certainly where it got really nasty. Uh, all right. We've talked about uh, the beginnings and what led to the American Revolutionary War. You know, just a few more minutes. Got about five minutes if anyone, if anyone wants to call in and uh, give any aspects that they would like to on it, you're welcome to. If you'd still like to call in and tell your uh, your local crews, thank you, and we'll still be willing to take your uh, take your calls. And uh, I believe the call screener is still talking, trying to call uh, Mr. Colorado. I don't know if he's had any luck or anything yet, but... Uh, <clears throat> Is uh, if he gets a hold of him, we'll put him on the air. Next week, we're starting to talk about the beginnings of we'd like to make sure that we uh, that all of us are uh, all of us are are heading that direction in our thinking. Uh, it looks like to me the call screener got Mr. Colorado on the phone. Uh, Hello. Mr. Colorado, welcome hey. to the show. Welcome to the show. How you doing? Your, one second. I need, your, I need your show phone number because my niece wants to comment on the school shooting too. And I want she on the other line. Okay. It's, <laughs> you ready to write this down? Yeah. It's three four seven. Three four seven. Three zero eight. Three zero eight. Eight seven nine zero. Eight seven nine zero. Give me one minute. One minute. All right. Okay. I'm hoping that. Uh, I'm hoping that this is going to turn out well. We uh, we spoke to Mr. Colorado a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure if he was just happened to be randomly going through the shows, and he saw our show page and saw the picture of uh, the the uh, the logo for the show and everything with the guy with the rifle and stuff. And I think that 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 just caused him to think of the uh, of the uh, what a lot of people who don't understand uh, the Appleseed Project or what we're doing think about uh, conservatives with guns. Hello. Uh, yes, Mr. Colorado? Yes, sir. How you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Oh, man, I'm I'm depressed about about the uh, young guy got shot in, in Florida. I'm, it kind of towed me up. I don't see Jessica coming around for that young brother in Florida. And these laws that they pass in, in these states, shoot to kill, is to me, is sick. A shoot to kill law? Well, that law that they got out, uh, 
in Florida about the one, you know, his life was in danger, so that gave him the right to kill that man, kill that little young 17-year-old boy when his life wasn't in danger. Well, I, I don't think that was a function of the law. You could have a law that said uh, that it was right to do one thing or wrong to do another thing, and you might break that law, and you may do the wrong thing. That doesn't mean that the law is wrong. It just meant that you broke the law. I think that right off the bat, whenever you look at the, when you listen to the tapes, now, for one thing, I don't think that there was any racism involved in that, because I listened to the tapes over and over. It doesn't sound like there's any racism. What it sounds like to me is that the guy who was following him used some really bad judgment. He because was, he the, was, uh, he the was being profiled. told him. What's he that? was being profiled. If you called in the police, every time you see an African-American walk through that community, that community and you call in the police on them, and then when you say, I'm not going to let this one get away. So he was being profiled. So, and then, you know, when you got a person following you, and, and I mean, how, how do he think that, look, you following this kid, you could have been a pervert, you could have been a child for less, or you could have been a raper. This kid didn't know who the hell you was. You ain't no cop. So what gives you the right to judge this kid that way? And then, you know, I get tired. They tell me he looks suspicious. How the hell he looks suspicious when, when you got... All these school shootings going around in America. What would happen to black people? Yeah, but were, were you there? Were you there on that street? Did you see I what got to be there, but all you got to do listen to the tapes. All you got to do listen to the tapes. He fathered that kid. He, he he got out his car and parked his car and walked up on that kid. Because they showed it how far his car was away from where that kid got killed at. That kid was on his way to his what dad's house. Is, what I'm saying is just because, just because he does, did that didn't mean... That uh, that the fellow that he was he was talking about wasn't acting suspicious. He may have been. Who knows? How did he know. feel suspicious? He walked home with a bag of potatoes with a uh, soda in his hand. What well, every time you yeah, see a black person, they got to be suspicious. You don't know that that happened. Yes, How we do. You, know you weren't there. It, it all, I ain't got to be there. It, 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 it was all on the news. But see, that's the problem here. See, they so bad being to try to profile black kids. We need to start profiling these little white kids who go to school shooting up everybody. What if people start saying every little white boy in America might start shooting because they love shooting up schools? No, ain't nobody into that profile. So people who think that law, because he, he did that because he know that law was going to stand behind his still ass. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that see, you can't say that, you can't say, that I can't what, say that, that one person was, wasn't. You can't say that one person wasn't acting suspicious. You can, How you was can he say acting that, suspicious? All he was doing going home. He well, had, I don't know. I don't. I don't know because I wasn't there. I wasn't this guy there. And, him. You, and you weren't there. I'm not saying that what the guy did was right. Well, I'm just I, I'm that, not, well you know what? From what I hear from the tapes and what he said out his own mouth, he looked suspicious, and he called the police, and uh, and then the, the cops told him, well, why don't follow him, and he still followed him. Yes, he was being profiled because he had a hoodie on. So what he had a hoodie on? I wonder do he look when he see them little, little white kids coming there looking like Draculas and stuff, got they all black on. I wonder what he said that about them. I well, wonder what he, he said they, they look hopefully profiled. He says they look, hopefully he says they look suspicious. Now, what happens then? Now, if you say that 
I wonder when he would have he wouldn't have jumped that quick and he would have looked out there and seen a little white boy walking down the street and all black and looking like he might go spray up the whole damn community. He wouldn't have done that. You don't know that. You don't know that. He may hate white people. I don't know. When this man, every time you look around, every time he see an African American walk through there, he called in 45 times and majority of them were for black people. Like we the only people on this damn planet. He ain't watching nobody for black folks. He ain't called in on nobody else. Maybe he didn't see any like Dracula white people that day. I bet well, he would well, have. Well, he did, but he ain't gonna call them. them. Because the only people who don't understand about profile is the one who don't be profile. See, we be profile. I can walk across the street sometimes, and white people get to lock and they do like I'm a carjacker. You know who the hardest people on white people? White folks. That's who be kicking their ass. Their own people. So they need to stop profiling me and my people, because we ain't messing with them. They kicking their own ass. Well, who who causes the most damage, like to, who causes the most death or the most shootings to black folks? Black people. Yes, it's black on black crime. And who causes the most death to white people? White folks. So it's 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 crime in both communities. You understand me? Don't act like white people don't kill white folks. All them damn service killers come out to our community or go around slaughtering women and doing what they do. So don't act like white on white crime don't go on either. Y'all hard on yeah. y'all self. Yeah, no, I, and and I, I I'm ready to accept that. But what I'm saying is, and just like we talked about last I time, I think it's is that, I think it's equal opportunity for everybody. Cause most crime come out y'all neighborhood toward each other, just like crime come out my neighborhood with each other. So we got to stop profiling. Cause majority of the people who whoop y'all who who kill white folks is other white people. Well, I I imagine that's probably true. Okay, well, what I'm saying, though, is that, is that you can't, number one, like what you're talking about just now, you're saying you're doing the exact thing that you're saying. No, I'm saying not doing the exact thing. I don't doing. profile people. Um, where I live where I got white neighbors. I don't I don't grab my wallet and put it in my pan. I don't hold my chest to my chest because I see a white person walking down the street. I don't do that. But that <laughs> happened to me. Are you sure? I bet you do. I bet you, I bet you, you I don't do it. Say, but you know what? That, I bet that damn white person's coming here to rob me. Well, no, I, I don't think it, no, I don't think that way. That's how that's how you white guys get to thinking of every time you see a black person. See, white women, they, I'm gonna tell you like this: white women got more hard than white men. White women got more hard than white men. White men be the one paranoid. White women will take a chance with people. It's the white men who got that problem. They the one paranoid and schizophrenic about now, everything. Now see, white women's got hard. See, Greg, you're profiling me. <laughs> no, I ain't profiling. I see it happen all the time. You said, you said white men. You white said white men, men do that. White men are paranoid when they see black people coming towards. They think we out to hurt them. White women got yeah. hard. They got more hard than you guys. Y'all guys, y'all are a little scary. Y'all need to loosen up a little bit. Ain't nobody out to hurt y'all. Calm down, you know. You ain't got to See, be that I, I way. Never, I never get, uh, I never get excited or paranoid or anything else with anybody, unless uh, unless it's a person that's acting a, a certain way. Well, it, you know what? It, I never look at. I never use color. I use you ever been on Hollywood, you ever been on Hollywood Boulevard in California? When you want to see a yes, uh, not since not since the '60s. Well, well, if you go on Hollywood Boulevard and then you want to see a lot of people that not African American, not Asian, not Hispanic, acting weird and suspicious, 
Go on Hollywood Boulevard. You'll see a lot of suspicious people who don't look. Okay. Hey, listen. Hold on just a second, Greg. Let me tell everybody to listen because we're about to go. Uh, we're about to go off the air. The show is still uh-huh. being recorded. We'll still be in the archives. But I just want to tell everybody we'll be back uh, next Thursday, 7 p.m. Central. You can catch okay. us there. You can listen to the rest of what we're saying. Well, you we'll know, Mr. Colorado, a few more minutes. Real. Well, well, you can listen to the rest of what we're saying. It'll be in the archives. All right, everybody. Okay. So, Greg, so tell yeah. me. You're telling me that whenever you, if you, if you see a white person walking down the street, you don't automatically say, "I bet that guy, I bet he's, I bet he's got a gun and he's getting ready to shoot me." No, I don't. You don't? No, I don't. No. Well, see, and I, I don't either. I don't do that. No, I don't see a white person and say, "Oh, no, I don't do that." And I, I get tired that when you hear. People talking about people look suspicious. What is suspicious? Everybody got tattoos. Everybody wear hoodies. Everybody wear their pants off their ass. Not blacks and white. So no, I, I see. I come from a. I come from the ghetto. I come from the west side of Chicago. And you know, I'm I'm used to people blacks and white with their pants hanging off their. See, I don't judge people about their clothes. I don't judge people about their. That ain't my way of doing. Cause that's between them and they God. I need judges hey, to God. Let I let God do it. Let me let me ask you something. Like whenever you go out walking down the street, if I was walking behind you, would I see like all of your underwear? No, you won't, cause I cause I'm a grown man. That's what young folks do, blacks and white. Young kids do that. You know, cause I see a lot of young white boys walking down through their damn pants hanging off their ass just as much as I see black men doing it. They both do right. it. So do so you, no, it, it wouldn't a, bother me at all. Good, do you think that's a good style? I don't. Well, you know what. Every generation had a style. That ain't. I don't care about what kids do because every every generation do what they do. And the, and me and your day, we had our style. You know, so yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna judge the kids. Some, you want to see some guys underwear? I don't want to see it. Well, it ain't That's their underwear. What they got to do with me? They ball them. If they want to hang them off their ass, that's their thing. <laughs> I'm not gonna judge. That's that's the money they spend. <laughs> it don't bother me because they get hands hanging off their ass. Hey, well, listen. Uh, you still want to come to an apple seed, don't you? Yeah. But well, I don't know how to get there. You said you're going to you send me a ticket. You? Well, I don't know. How do I How do I get a hold of you? I gave you, you my info. You're supposed to email uh, me something, but you didn't email it to me. I gave you my email. Well, I, gave, I, gave you, I gave you my email, and you oh, were going to give... email me, and then I was going to send you the information back. Well, let me give you my email. Okay, hold on. Let me get a let me get a pen so I can write it down, and then I'll I'll send you the information because they said they'd be glad to uh, to have you, and they promised me that well, nobody I would hope try, if I don't go there, nobody would try and hunt you down, Greg. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, uh, I hope I ain't gonna be. Let's put let's put this nigga in the wood and start shooting at him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I because, saw a movie like you know that. What? They took this black guy, to Ice T, Ice Cube, to the wood. And then they, he became the hunt. You know, they started chasing him through the wood. He had to, I mean, you know, they thought he thought they was his friend. All of a sudden, people who have the shows like what you have, he became a reindeer. They started hunting him down. <laughs> no, listen. I was out of shit. I can't run it, so Hey, if they, if they decide they want to kill me, I'm caught because I ain't in all that running. So they're going to catch my big ass. I'm sorry to tell you. So. <laughs> No, we had we had a shoot over in uh, College Station, 
and uh, oh. and there was uh, uh, oh, I guess there was uh, two families there, and uh-huh. uh, two black families, and uh, and I asked him if I could uh, put their uh, photographs on the website, and they started laughing, oh. and they said, "Why?" I said, "Because I just got through reading on another website, they were people, folks were saying the things uh, just like you were saying that uh, <laughs> that that apple seed." The Appleseed folks were they were training people to go after uh blacks and homosexuals and stuff like that and track them down and they just started laughing. They said, Yeah, go ahead. So you'll be perfectly safe. Okay. okay what's your e- what's your email? Gregory George forty three at Wahoo dot com. Forty three X Wahoo what how do you spell that? Y a h o o dot com. Oh, okay. Forty three x at yahoo dot com. Yeah. Okay, Gregory G R E G O R Y G E O R G E forty three x at yahoo dot com. Right, and just email me the information, and I get it, and then we can go from there. Okay. All right. well, I, you, I see you, you guys calling me back. The, you don't mind coming back on the show every now and then to uh, to give us oh. updates on this, right? Yeah, it's cool. All right, listen. Uh, as long as folks, as long as folks are still, people can still sit down, and maybe they yell a little bit at the beginning, but once they stop yelling and stuff and they start talking, uh-huh. then 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 make everybody figures out. <laughs> that there there is no huge difference that everybody everybody in in, in America is just trying to to do the best you know they what can. Sure, need sure to you do got it. folks that you got folks who are dedicated troublemakers are dedicated evil uh, in all races in all races religions whatever you got folks that are just but dedicated you know what America needs to do. We need to stop trying to police the world. We need to stop going around the world trying to tip Because we got too much drama going on in this country right now. This country ain't in no position to try to tell no other country to do shit. Because we got this black on, we got the black on black crime. We got the white on white crime. We got the black and white crime going on. We got this group of people hating that group of people. But the only people that I say in this country that represent America is all soldiers. Because when they're all in them countries, they represent one nation. They represent in America. And we need to learn how to get along like our soldiers get along. Were you uh, uh were you in the military? Well, I, my son was. I was in the military, and I can tell you this right now, that uh, uh, that I never, ever once wondered uh, what color the guy was in the foxhole with me. I never, ever once worried about it. And No, they get along. I see, because I stayed right. in San Diego. I stayed in San Diego, and there's a neighbor town. And my neighbors, majority of them was neighbors. And they used to take me on the boat where they go party at. And, I mean, it was blacks, whites, Spanish, everybody. They all was one group of people. They had the same personality. They had the same attitude. And that's what America needs to build from, how them soldiers get along. Because all this black-on-black crime, all this white and black splitting up the country, you know, these social that die for us to be America, and when they come here, they split up because the country acting on some stuck-on-stupid shit. And I'm talking about white and black. Stuck 
own stupid shit and all this hateful stuff that's going on. We need to try to learn how to get along because this 2000. I understand what went on in the 50s and the 60s, but them days is majority gone. Now this shit coming all the way back around. Like you asking me, how do I feel when, if I see these young folks? That don't bother me because I remember back in the days I had a high fade. I had one of them box haircuts that everybody went. Everybody go through their fade. When they get grown, they go. They gonna look back and see what they used to wear was goofy and silly, and then they gonna laugh about it. So you know, what kind, that's of, what kind of haircut was it? I had a box haircut, the fade. I had the, the eighty-three haircut. You know, Is I remember like my the, hair. like hammer. Yeah, one of them had haircuts. Yeah, man, she always liked that haircut. I liked it too back in the days. I was wearing now. but back in the days, I had me a high fade. Mine was like, I had a real high one. But that was back yeah, in the day. When I was in the military, I had that same kind of haircut. I had yeah. cut it, uh, cut it all. In the military, they called it a high and tight. There you go. But, you know, I'm just saying, we, I can't judge these babies by how they dress. Because, you know what, because I see it. In, when I was living in San Diego, I see more than white boys hang pants hanging out their ass in black. Because majority of the people that I live around San Diego was white kids. And they kept their uh, pants hanging off their ass. Well, I can I can only imagine the stuff that you saw in San Diego, especially from uh, from the the folks that uh, were alternative there at that time. Because uh, I've certainly seen some some wild pictures from San Diego. I imagine that was a pretty wild town at the time. What were you yeah. doing in San Diego? I was living in San. I lived out there for almost ten years. I worked with the mental health down there. I was I was a, a caseworker for the mental health. Well, I bet there was a lot of a lot of mental health issues there. I watched a show the other day about that. They were talking about uh, it's a how lot many going folks on. were living on the streets and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on down there in California. Yeah. And yeah, I guess just, because the, the weather is, is so good most of the time that people can just live out in the streets all the time. And, and, and I'm not trying to say, the majority of the people who you see standing outside, 85% is white people. Oh, yeah. Men. oh yeah. So that's just oh, yeah. so you know, we got to stop pointing fingers because it's messed up in every community. It's more in California, I, especially in San Diego. It's I see more white men out there with mental problems, and they even getting the help that they deserve because the government ain't got no program to help them. So we we need to try to stop trying to split this country up and try to make our government work for. All, all people, because both both communities hurting right now. Don't think. Yeah, but see, but see, it's not working right now. The government isn't working for us. N- no, they ain't working. The government ain't working for, us, and the government ain't worked for us in almost twenty years. Reagan ain't doing shit for us. Bush ain't doing shit for us. And Obama ain't doing no more. What they gonna let him do? They ain't none of them ain't doing shit for. Us. They all get it there. They get. They be the president, and when they leave, they they go go out and sell books and make money for them. So I can't say Reagan did no more what Obama doing because ain't none of them did shit for America. They ain't working for me and you no more. It's all about what they can do for them. And that's go for all that's the That's exactly right. See, you just came. You just mentioned right there one of the main, most important things right there. You got it. Yes. The the government isn't working, and the and the political parties aren't working for anybody. You got but the nobody. Democratic Party that tells that is telling the minority communities uh, that. The only thing you can do is you got to vote Democrat because we're the only folks that will take care of you. And then what do they do? They don't take Nothing. care of. They don't take care of anybody. They well, don't they care about that. anybody. 
when they get in the White House, they all say they they out for Americans. It ain't the Democrat because once they get in, in charge, okay, the Democrat Party was in charge, shit happened. The Republican Party was in charge, nothing happened. And every day the country getting worse and worse because we got two parties, don't know how to sit across the table and work together and make this country great again. They too damn busy and want to see who checks the heart, and both of them look like some girly men. Ain't none of them looking like real people up there. They look like they all stuck on stupid, both damn parties. So I ain't going to blame NAM because NAM party ain't shit in my eyesight. Both parties are stuck the hell on stupid because guess who the people suffering behind their bullshit, me but and you. how are you going to fix it, though? What do you what do you think what do you think well, the we, answer is? How can we how can we fix it? ain't it? no answer for it because it's too much out of control. You know how we gonna fix it? Cause they got us so split up. We don't even know how to. Me and you don't even know how to sit and talk to each other. Cause the party got us so stuck on stupid about each one of us don't even know how to get along. Cause we, the shit that I hear on TV coming from We're both parties. We're getting along. Parties, me and We're you me and you getting along, but there's a lot of us ain't out there getting along. A lot of us can't sit there because one, one guy going to try to blame the other guy. I said, no, but we ain't trying to blame each other. But, see, that's that's what's wrong. We blaming each other instead of blaming the damn parties out there. I believe if the people come together and come at their ass, study us out here acting a damn fool for a party, don't give a hell about now one of us, and we out here hating on each other, and this party up there just destroying our country, maybe we come at their ass as a group of people at once, and just let them know, if y'all can't do your job, we're going to kick y'all ass up out of here. But we, we can't come together. Till we come together, we can make this country better. Because the people who are up there, they ain't going to never sit across the table and do a damn thing for me and you. Well, that's what we're doing at the Appleseed. You know what we do there? We tell the people, look, the government, uh, the government is not the president. It's not the senators. It's not the congressmen. The government is... Standing right there, it's standing right there on that firing line at an apple seat. And the only way to fix things is to realize that you cannot, you cannot depend on the government to do something for you. You've got to depend on yourself and making sure that you're making things right yourself. And that's how we're trying to get things fixed. Is we're trying to say, well, we can't make things right when, okay. The government is the person that in charge of this country. But the government ain't going to do no more than what we let them do, because if we sit here and allow our government to be as stupid as they as is, ain't nothing going to get done for me and you, because like I said, we too far split up. We ain't going to never work together. No, we keep letting the government keep us split up this way. We got the conservative people hating the liberals. We got the liberals hating the conservatives. But what's coming out of it? When you see all these homeless people in this country right now, when you see all these people ain't getting no jobs, ain't getting shit, like I said, both parties been in charge. Here we had three Republicans, we had three Democrats, and they now want to, and, every, and that's been, what, the last 30 years, this country been pulled down to the floor because we had all these shade-ass people in charge of this country. Country splitting us up. When, when uh, Carter was in the White House, that was a problem. When Reagan was in the White House, that was a problem. When both of the Bushes was in the White House, that was a problem. When Obama in the White House, it's a problem. So who in the hell working for me and you? Nobody. We got, like you said, we got to come together and make this something happen for us. Because we can't pin on the government because the government ain't got enough damn sense to do nothing today. All they want to do is start wars, go to other countries, try to police the world, and we can't police the world. Because you know why we can't police the world? How are we going to go tell other countries how, what they need to do in their country when America is going down, down, down? 
We can't police the world anymore. Right. Because if we was a bad country and the people looked up to us like they used to, that man would have been throwing them goddamn shoes at George Bush's head the way he was. He was trying to knock Bush's ass straight to hell. We need to leave them people alone in their country. If they women want to dress wrapped up, tied up, or however the hell they dress, they've been doing that for a thousand years. We can't go to their land and try to tell them to live like America. Because right now, America ain't living like America. We live like all of us stuck on stupid. We the laughing stock of the world today. Because we ain't getting nothing done in this country, and it ain't getting no better. So only way we going to change this shit that people like me and you and the world, the people of this country got to let our government know we ain't going to take this bullshit no more. That's what we need to do. Stop pointing fingers at each other and stop pointing fingers at this crooked-ass government we got up in here working for us right now. Because they don't give a hell about me or you. That's what they want us to do, be out here arguing with each other, acting a damn fool. Hey, Greg. Yes, sir. Greg, this is <laughs> Sam. I'm the guy that called you up on the phone. What's up, Mr. Sam? You and me Sam? are going to be good friends. Huh? You and me are going to be good friends. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. exactly alike. <laughs> I'm keeping it real, player. Don't take it personal. I'm just keeping it real. <laughs> I'm not taking it personal. I like everything you say. Oh, okay. You said well, nothing that bothers me at all. Okay, I'm just keeping it real. That's all. <laughs> well, listen, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us, and uh, I'm going to well, send you all the information. I appreciate you inviting me to your show. Well, I'm going to like send you that. the information to come to uh, an Appleseed event, and okay. then you can, you can, uh, then we'll talk to you again after that. You can tell us how you think it went. All right, I will do just that. All right. Well, thank you much. Greg, God bless you and yours, and we'll talk to you uh, real soon. I'll send you the information uh, uh, tomorrow. Just email it to me. I got it. All right. Okay. You take care, brother. Uh-huh. All right. Good night. Good night. All right, guys. Well, we uh, <laughs> we had a good time with uh, with Greg, and, uh, and we're learning something every time we speak with him. Uh, we'll be uh, We'll be back on the air. At uh, 7 p.m. Central uh, this next Thursday. All right. Take care. Thank you, uh, Call Screener. Take care, everybody. God bless you all, and we'll talk to you uh, next week. Good night.